Yeah. Amen. Amen, Max. Amen. Oh, the worship uh, got a hold of me, so I'm just one one moment. In in with prayer, out with prayer. Amen. Breathe in. Breathe out. Lord Jesus, God, thank you. Manifold wisdom of God is in the body. Thank you, Jesus. In with prayer, out with prayer. We breathe you in, we breathe you out, God. You are the air we breathe. And we love you and we praise you. You're a mighty, awesome, righteous, powerful Savior. You're so much bigger than us, but you're so much bigger than our problems. You're bigger than us, God, but you're bigger than what we're facing. And that, like we we get it that you're bigger than us, but for some reason we don't always seem to get it that you're bigger than what we're facing. You are. You are, and even... If the problem we're facing is us, you know, even if it's our our own resistance, even if it's our own sin that trails behind, even if it's our own reluctance to do things you've called us to do, even if it's just our own situation that we created, you're bigger than it, God. Your Holy Spirit always goes ahead of us. You always come behind us sweeping up messes and (laughs) cleaning things up. You're always with us. You say, Loa, I'm with you always. You're never not. We love you so much, God. And the power of who you are, just, we can feel it. We can feel it, Lord. When we we worship together, when when we assemble together, It's so vital we assemble together. When we're in the same room with you, God, with the Holy Spirit, with our brethren, there is such electricity to it. Praise you for it. Praise you for it. Speak to our hearts today. Through the power of your word, speak to our hearts today in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, uh, I don't know... Jumbotron people did. I, I didn't use a single verse of, on the baby dedication section, but I actually want to look at them real quick. So this is not like the focus yet, but I, I don't want to miss them. Just seeing, uh, so, so Psalm 78, if you can go back to that one, four through seven. Look how this reads. We will not hide them from their descendants will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he's done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would teach and tell their children. And then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. Ephesians chapter 6, 2 through 4 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it will go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. See how these line up with what we did this morning? What we're doing? What we're committing to do? 1 Samuel 1.11, which is, by the way, where we'll be today. It's 1 Samuel. And she, Hannah, 
she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you'll only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. Like making him a Nazarite, Nazarite vow. Luke 2.22 that I mentioned. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. We were taking the children and presenting them to the Lord. Look, God, look. We're making a commitment to you. We're making a commitment. We're going to teach them and tell them the decrees of your word. We're going to teach them and tell them. And as a family, we're going to keep reinforcing that. Amen? All right. So the word today, however, is in 1 Samuel. And I'm going to read straight through it. Now, there's a lot here. Please stay with me. There's a lot of reading to get through it. We're going to hit three chapters, but it's really important to see how it kind of plays out and what's going on in Israel at the time that this happens. So it starts like this. There was a certain man from uh, Remathaim, a, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jero, uh, Jeroham. The, oh, I got to make the words bigger on this. I got a new phone, and I can't see it because I, I haven't adjusted it to my blindness yet. Um, so, oh, by the way, if anybody emailed me on the pastor email uh, like Carrington did, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it did not connect with this phone like I thought it was going to, and I thought I was receiving everything, and I wasn't. So if I missed someone, it was unintentional, and I promise to get back to you once I connect it to this phone, and then I'll know. Uh, for the last few days, um, you were in no man's land, uh, cyberspace. Sorry about that. So now keep continuing reading now that I can read it. Uh, so the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf. That's just a Zuf. He came out fast. So mom called him that. Uh, and, and Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Okay, quick little note before we go any further. There's a lot going wrong in, in, in Israel right now. There's a whole lot that's wrong. Number one, the man's got two wives. That's not a good start. That's a poor start. Not like, not like the people of God have been making this mistake repeatedly, but it is a mistake. God said from the beginning, I intended one man and one woman. That was his, that was his definition of marriage. And, and it's what value to, was, was of value to him. And, and the men started to, well, you know, I'd, I, I want more wives. I, I'm going to have two wives. And look at the chaos it creates. We know the chaos it creates, but look at the chaos it creates in this one. One of them keeps having children. One of them doesn't. He actually loves one more than the other, but this one's producing babies. This one's not. I love that one more. I give her the double portion. I make sure she's taken care of. And there's all this chaos within their family. But there's chaos within Israel. There's one good thing going on. Year after year, as much chaos is going on in his life, year after year, he does keep going to sacrifice before the Lord. So he doesn't forsake the assembly. He keeps going. He's intending to worship God, but he's kind of bringing all of his stuff with him, as we often do. But something's happening. The Hophni and Phineas, these sons of Eli, Eli's not doing a great job, and his sons are doing a horrific job. 
They are horrible priests. They rob the temple of all the types of offerings that are given. They don't even let it finish boiling to get the fat off because they like the fat because they are fat. And they, and they, and they love to eat, eat, eat. And they take all the things. They've learned this trick from dad who's having an issue with eating himself. And you see it because it keeps playing out in the scriptures that all of them, it's not eating, it's greed. Just so we're clear, it's greed. They're taking whatever they want and, and whatever feels good in the moment they're doing. They're sleeping with the women who serve at the sanctuary, at the, at the front of the sanctuary. These guys are a mess, and they're the ones leading the nation. Whenever the day came for, I'm on verse 4 now, whenever the day came for Elkanah's sacrifice, he'd give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival, the other wife, this is family, uh, would provoke her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on his chair by the doorpost on the, of the Lord's house. Every time you see Eli in the Scriptures, he's sitting or lying down. Every time. And so this time, or falling down. And this time, it's, so we've got inner, inner deep anguish. Um, Oh, now Eli, sorry, was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. And in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you'll just look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I'll give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. You know, there's something to me that's just crazy odd in the prayer. If she's desperate for a child, and she's constantly made fun of by her rival, the other wife, won't she want to keep it? Like when she gets the child, won't she want that child to, won't she, doesn't she want a child? That's the whole point. If you finally give me what I want with all my heart, I'll give it back to you. Amen. I'll tell you what, so oddly, that's how the kingdom always works. God, I'm desperate for something. I just, would you just please work within my life this thing that, that's, that's crushing me? I'll give it back to you if you do. And when we do that, there's this, there's this game of hot potato because then he gives it back to you. And, and, and it becomes this, this amazing interaction with the king. Did you notice the scripture said, not, not the husband, the scripture said the Lord had closed her womb? The word says that. So she's not having a baby, and it's on purpose right now. Something, something's moving in a direction. Something's moving in a direction that's actually going to change the entire nation. Something's moving in a direction in this, in this tiny family that would, up till now, probably be almost unnoticed in the people of God that's going to change the entire nation, and it's starting with despair. 
is starting with just incredible brokenness. It's starting with something that she is just desperate for and isn't getting. And it's starting like this. Every time they go near to worship, her rival provokes her until she weeps and cries. So there's two pieces to this for us to walk away with today. One is this place, this time, not this bowling alley turned into a church. I'm super thankful for this. This is an awesome building. God's done something really, really so cool here. This place is awesome. So inviting. You walk in, there's a cafe. You can watch the message out there on a couch. You can come and sit here. It's a wonderful place. And we get to do this. Such a privilege. But... The holiness is not in the bowling alley turned to a church. The holiness is right here and right here. The holiness is in the people of God and worshiping their God in unison together. That's what creates the holiness. That's why this place is electric. That's why you feel something. That's why people have just spontaneously got baptized or accepted Christ. And, and, and that's why you're worshiping and tears come down. It's the electricity of the Holy Spirit because that's the holy, that's the most holy place that we are allowed instant access to whenever we want it. And unfortunately, we don't take that option enough. It's available to us all the time. It could be available to one of us, two of us, ten of us, or two hundred of us, and we can have it whenever we want it. I will say this, though. It seems like the electricity increases with numbers. I'm not sure what it is. Louis Palau, a long time ago, this evangelist came and spoke in Augusta, and there were like 8,000 people all worshiping God. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I just felt like I was in heaven. They're just worshiping, and I felt like I was in heaven. Bought a bunch of kids to it from my classroom. It's just like, wow, this is so... It was awesome. So, you know, the holiness is from us being here together. But we we have a responsibility in this holy place. Don't come into this holy place with gossip. And don't come into this holy place with an intent to harm someone else. And don't come into this holy place being careless with your words to someone else that it can harm. She would go to the holy place over and over and over, and her intention was to worship God, and a rival who was also going there for the same purpose would constantly provoke her and make her weep and cry until she left church. And that happens too much today. That happens too much today where in a church family, there's two people that don't get along or one person offended the other one and they see each other kind of across the way and that's bad and they're averting eyes and not making eye contact. If they do say something, it's not real nice. Maybe saying something on purpose. Oh, my father always said, if you're the one that wants to deliver a word from God, a hard word from God for someone, you're the wrong one. You're not the one to do it. So if you think, oh, I got a tough word for them, write out of Scripture. You're the wrong one. It's not you. Tell someone else. Let's say, hey, have you read that one yourself? The thing is, the wife, same family, super close. She would provoke the other one until she cried while they were trying to worship. We have a responsibility to help enable each other worship. 
to encourage each other to worship, to encourage each other as we worship. This has got to be a safe place to do that. Amen? Don't walk in here thinking you'll never face something. That's foolish because then you'll get knocked off your horse. But understand that our intention is lead each other towards the king. Don't step in each other's way like hurdles as someone's trying to get into the kingdom. All right, that's one. The other is this. So often, the Lord is setting up something in us with desperation. Desperation should not be a wasted thing. So often, we feel like, oh, all these things are going wrong. This is so hard. This is, this is such a tough situation. And then you'll go back in your life at some of the worst ones and look and find yourself, if you were able to play back the video, on your knees, 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 talking to God, weeping, crying, going out, barely able to function, back in, praying, praying, barely able to function through your day, but you're worshiping God in a way that you weren't doing when everything was honky-dory. You're worshiping God in a way that you just weren't, you weren't accessing him that way. And it wasn't because you couldn't, it was because you didn't. There's a very big difference. But sometimes the worship is so driven by desperation. Because the brokenness that you're experiencing at that time draws you to the throne because you know it's a safe place. You know he loves you. You know he's, he's welcoming you in. You know he's wise. You know he's stronger than your adversary. And you know that he has your best interest at heart. And still, the desperation <laughs> strikes. Sometimes it's temporary desperation. It's not, it doesn't get you that far. It's, you're not that deep in, but we're kind of sissies, <laughs> you know, <laughs> compared to... Yeah, you know, some generations fought some really heavy, heavy-duty stuff. Um, uh, I got a friend here at church who always calls it first world problems. You know, Dunkin' Donuts took too long. <laughs> Prayer of desperation. I'm late to work. I can't even believe they would take that long to make the coffee. For the love of God. <laughs> you know, there's, there's first world problems we run into all the time. And, and so many of them are centered around finances because so many people all around you have something you don't or you're just frustrated. You're, you're trying to make ends meet. Meanwhile, you're living in a house that 95% of the world would kill for. We, we, we don't understand how blessed we are. So often we're just super, super desperate. But the problem isn't necessarily what you have or don't have. It's the, it's the way that you allow Satan to continue to provoke. Because Satan comes in like Penina. You don't have children. You don't have children. There's no sense worshiping God. He doesn't care enough about you. It's him who closed your womb. He doesn't care enough. And she'd go home weeping. She'd miss the whole worship opportunity every single time because she'd be so focused on what she didn't have instead of the God of all creation that she did. But something different happens this time. This time, she's weeping bitterly, so she's still hurting, but she, she stays. She, and she goes right up front 
She's kneeling at the altar. This is a prayer of desperation. She is at the altar. And she's looking for God to do something, please, every single time. If you do it for me, it's going to take such an onus off of me for being like this woman who can't give birth, so, so I'm not blessed of God, that I'll give the child back to you. Just open up my womb. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth moving. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice wasn't heard. Eli thought she was drunk. And he said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. This is the guy that's leading all the people of Israel. For one, he's got, there's no spiritual sense that kind of catches that this woman's weeping and in tears and praying silently. She, she shouldn't look drunk. I mean, it would be, be a different look. I think most normal people could have looked over in this and said, oh, wow, she's really going through something. I think a totally unchurched person could look at that and go, wow, oh, she's really struggling. She needs something from, from that God she serves. You could be a complete unbeliever and see that. And this guy looks over and says, woman, put away your wine. It's really a frustrating line. There's no compassion in it. There's no, it's just judgment. She's come to get something from God that she's desperate for, and she gets judged. That's another way that we can do the Penina thing and send someone home weeping. She needs a move of God, and she needs people of God around her. She says, not so, my Lord. Verse 15, Hannah replied, I'm a woman who's deeply troubled. I haven't been drinking with wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Don't take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, oh, well, go in peace then, and may the God of Israel grant you what you've asked of him. Oh, thanks. I mean, I could almost see her rolling her eyes as she walks away, but she doesn't. She doesn't at all. Watch. She hears that. She hears, okay, here's the guy God's put in charge. He tells me that God's going to answer my prayer. So she said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. And she went away and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Guys, God with a word, with a word, with a moment. He can change your perspective and not your situation. And you can go off praising. In a word, he can change everything in your life without changing anything in your life. That's the God we serve. All he's got to do is speak hope. All he's got to do is prove to you he's listening, and that is just enough for us. If he proves it by his reaction, and, and, and you know, here's this guy being an idiot, and he's like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, well, go off in peace then. God's going to grant it to you. And she's like, oh, all right, all right then. She's going home in the same despair-like situation. There's no, there's no pregnancy test that's positive. There's, there's no really chance this is going to happen other than she spoke, she heard God speak. That changes everything. 
It changes everything. His voice changes everything. And in the place of desperation where you're just lost and broken and sad and lonely and seeing what you don't have, and God says, but here's what you do. Here's what you do have. In that moment, he can change it without changing everything else. He doesn't have to change everything else. He just has to change that. But so often, like the hot potato thing, he will. Then he will. But you know what? Then your heart's ready to receive it. Because before that, even if you got it, you wouldn't have appreciated it the way you should have. But desperation sets stuff up in the kingdom. Desperation sets, it sets things up. You ever watch a movie um, with, with like no desperation? Anything on Hallmark. Anything. So yeah, it's Christmas in July right now. Just watch, just watch one. There's, there's no desperation. There's no bad guy. There's no enemy. There's just a lame boyfriend and a new one. And the new one always wins. Like you can see it all coming. Everything's is predictable. Everything's like the worst problem is that it snowed when you wanted to go dancing outside or something. It's just like it's like it's like there's no there's no issues. And and what happens is you walk away like, dang, that was lame. I didn't really, there was, no, there was nothing, there was no climax, there was nothing I had to get over, there was no hump, there was no wall, there was no hurdle. We need desperation. Desperation makes us dig. Desperation makes us care. Desperation makes us thankful. Desperation makes us hungry. Desperation makes us need more of our God that we were walking around like we didn't need, that we forgot we needed, that we forgot that he was the air we breathed that we forgot that we can't even wake up unless he let your heart beat today, that we forget, and then desperation brings you back to that place where you're on your knees going, oh, Lord Jesus, seriously, I'm desperate. You've, listen, it brings you to a place of compliance. It brings you to a place where you're moldable, bendable, usable in the kingdom. Desperation brings you to a place where you're like, you know what? God, no matter what happens or what people say or, or anything, I'm just going to do what you say. I'm going to do it. When you get to that place, man, things happen in the kingdom. But it often takes desperation because we're very concerned about what people think and what we don't have. First Samuel follows judges. It's all in that time period where everything's going wrong. Everyone did as they saw fit because Israel had no king. There's a lot of chaos going on. There's just a lot of people that aren't, they're just not following God. And they're the people of God not following God. And they don't have good leaders. And in the middle of all this chaos, God has this woman, Hannah, and he's speaking something to her heart. Whose idea was it? do you think, for her to leave her child at the altar? To, to, the, 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 everything she's after, she's going to then give back to God and say, okay, now you raise him here at the temple. Whose idea is that? That's the Holy Spirit speaking to her. And whenever he does, there comes a promise with it. Do it. Do this hard thing that I'm asking for, and I will bless you on the flip side. Trust me. You can trust me. 
But he's not just after saving Hannah. He's after saving a nation. Because this child's going to lead everybody. So let's read a little further. Early the next morning they arose. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord. And then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And she named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. You know what Samuel means? He heard me. I, <laughs> I love that, actually. He heard me. He heard me. I hope, I hope you've experienced praying something and then only you could have known what it was that God needed to hear and then it happened. And just the fact that he heard you, just that he heard you and responded, changed everything. When her husband Elkanah went up and all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord to fulfill his vow, Hannah didn't go. She said to her husband, after the boy's weaned, I'll take him and present him before the Lord, and he'll live there always. Do what seems best to you, her husband Elkanah told her. Stay here until you've weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. And after she had weaned him, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour. That's 36 pounds of flour. You need a lot to cook a bull, I guess. Uh, and a skin of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And when the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli. And she said to him, pardon me, Lord, as surely as you live, I'm the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He'll be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. And he worshiped the Lord there. Okay. With you and I, the process is what we did this morning. Uh, so now I give him to the Lord. I give my child, him or her, to the Lord for, for their whole life. They'll be given over to the Lord and then worship him. That's what we're doing when we dedicate children. That's what we do. But she's saying, I legitimately am going to leave him here. Now, if she'd seen the track record of Eli... I mean, there's, there's, uh, his children should be taken from him. This is a mess. Hophni, his boys, they're a mess. They're power hungry, and, and they don't have any respect for God, and God is going to put them to death. And he's their dad that raised them, and she's handing her child to this guy. Here, raise him. Hannah's prayer, next chapter. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. The Lord is my horn. The lo in the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies. I delight in your deliverance. There's no one like the Lord. There's no one beside you. There's no rock like our God. You know when she's praying this? while she's doing this ridiculous thing and dropping the child off that God gave her. Do you hear when she's praying this? This would have been the hardest, 
most difficult thing ever to do. This is her next prayer of desperation. I'm dropping off my child. Sounds like a big celebration. It's not. It is and it isn't. It's desperation. Please, God, I, I felt like you told me to do this. You're my rock. You held true. You did the thing I asked for. You promised me it, and you did it. I'm so amazed, but I did say I would do this, and I'm doing this. And she follows through. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance, for the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for food, but those who are hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who's had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor for the foundations of the earth of the Lord's on them he has set the world. He'll guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It's not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He'll give strength to his king and exalt the horn of, the, of his anointed. A little foreshadow of Christ. And then Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. Now, just a quick note. When you get to the place where you are this desperate and God moves and there's, there's a conversation between you and God and your heart is changing because of it, you say these types of things. The foundations of the Lord's. On them he set the world. He, he'll guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It's not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. But she also starts saying things like, God raises up this one, brings down this one. She starts just saying, you know, whatever, God, whatever your will is, I'm for it. Instead of I'm desperate, 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 I need, 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 need from you, it is whatever your will is, I trust you with it. I trust you. I see that you love me. I trust you. I, I don't even know if I'm going to like the results, but I trust you. You are awesome. You're God. There's no more conversation about what she doesn't have. Did you notice she didn't even pray for more children? Did you hear that? Or did you not hear that? She didn't pray for more children. Is that, oh, okay, the need's met. No, the need's not met. She's going home with no children. She had one for about three years. Now she doesn't. She just dropped it off, and she's going home. And so she's still desperate to be mom. And yet she does this because she trusts that God's got her back. In this interaction, she's starting to realize you are more to me than anything else. So if I don't get the thing I'm after, I know I've got you. Because we're running further than I wanted time-wise, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip to the last, to chapter three, because what I want to get to is this important point. And, and all that's there is what I was telling you. Eli's sons are very wicked. A prophet even comes and tells him, you know that they're sleeping with a woman at the altar, and you know that they're stealing all of God's offerings, like sin offerings. They're pulling them right out of the thing, and they're picking whatever they want, eating it. They're not following any of the instructions. They do not care. 
And you have not restrained them. You haven't taught them not to do this. You haven't taught them to respect God. So God's going to kill them both. Eli. Hopefully, Hannah wasn't still there when this prophet arrived and told him that. And, you know, she just dropped her child here. But that's where her boy is. And all this shows you is that regardless, regardless of what's going on around you, regardless of who's leading your nation, regardless of who's leading your state, regardless of what kind of things you see that aren't lining up with the will of God, you're just like, wow, how could, how could anything righteous even happen here? Regardless of that, God's on his throne. He's so powerful, he's going to accomplish what he needs to accomplish. He'll do it right in the midst of the chaos. He's always done it. He's always done it. That's how you and I, if you found Jesus and you've accepted him in your heart, that's how you got saved. I heard someone saying, hey, how come Jesus was born in a manger? Like, no one aspires for that. You don't, you don't think, okay, oh, you know, I'd love my baby to be in a super clinical, clean place with doctors and things. And no one says, I'd like to, well, not me, I'd like to be with some horses and cows <laughs> and a real drafty barn and, you know, things mooing. And then I, I'd love the baby to be in that really nasty thing that they slop out of their food, that manger, and then put it there, and it'd be like, oh. No one's after that. No one's like, oh, that's the best case scenario. It was the last case scenario. There's nothing else. So that's where they went, because it's freezing cold. It's the best they had. So someone said to me, do you? You ever wonder why God, with his... His beautiful son, the son of God, God himself in son form, in human form. Why wouldn't he pick like the most coolest place for him to be born, the best possible scenario? Instead, it's dark, it's cold, it's, it's frightening, it's gross, it's infected by everything of this world, it smells bad. And he said, it's because that's how he's always born. Every time you're born again and Jesus is born into your heart and he's now in a new, dark, cold, smelly, gross place, seated in a manger, seated in this like place, that, this feeding trough. He's, he's put Jesus over and over, puts himself in the darkest, coldest, hardest places and is born there and changes everything. He always does it. He always does it. So it's no mystery he started that way. So here again, you've got a child of God put in, dedicated to God, put into chaos, coldness, and darkness. And chapter 3 reads like this. So now I'm going to go 1 Samuel 3 and just, just to see how this works. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night... Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, and I think that's spiritually as well as physically, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Again, spiritual comment. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. Did you hear that? It never, ever will. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. The place was dark. They're not hearing from God. 
Eli's not hearing from God. He can barely see anymore. His kids are running things and they're a mess. And then here introduce this little three, four, five-year-old kid who comes in and he starts ministering, wearing a linen ephod at the temple. He's supposed to be a grown man. And here we go. The lamp of God had not yet gone out and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Is he supposed to be in there? Then the Lord said, called Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I didn't call, go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again the Lord called, Samuel. And Samuel got up and he went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call, go back and lie down. Now Samuel didn't know the Lord yet. The word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. And then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. You know why it takes three times? Because Eli has not heard God speak in a long time. He's forgotten the voice. He's forgotten what it sounds like. Matter of fact, God's calling loudly in the temple, and he's not hearing it. But the boy is. He's like, oh, Samuel, that's God. Go back in there and find out what he's saying. I don't hear him too well anymore. Come back and tell me what it is. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. If he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Okay. Guys, if you're in the journeys group and you're getting ready to go on this retreat this weekend and they're going to drop us, I am too, they're going to drop us somewhere in the woods. You just go out in the woods, they drop you somewhere, no, no cell phone, no navigation, no distraction, minus all the things that could eat you out there. But they're going to so drop you out in the woods, and you're just out there. Here's what, you're, here's what the thing that you're supposed to do is. Sit, listen, follow. This is where Eli gets it right. Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and laid down his place. And he's not waiting. Our job is, sorry, not waiting for God to speak and then, and then reacting. We're a people of God who are supposed to seek his face and listen for his voice. So you can do this. You don't have to be in the middle of the woods. Why do that? Because that way you've pulled someone out of everything that they would do to distract themselves instead of listening to God. So you're out in the woods. There's nothing left to do but climb a tree. Listen for God. And then just say, God, your servant's listening. Speak to me. And it's not that you don't wait a while because God's slow to speak. You wait a while because you're slow to hear. That's why you wait a while. But if you do, you'll hear him. You always will. You'll never not. And it's not, so I don't, I don't, I don't hear him like other people. No one hears him the same. Do you hear how Samuel got up and kept going to Eli, thinking Eli called him? He knows what Eli's voice sounds like. God will often just use something 
that you're very familiar with to speak to you with. He will use things that you're very familiar with to speak to you. You're like, I've heard that before, but there's a whole new feel to this, but it's very, very familiar to me. And so lie down, listen for God, and say, just speak. You can do that on your bed. You can do that in the morning when you get up. You can do that on a lunch break. You can just sit there, kill the distractions, and say, God, speak to me. Your servant's listening. Your servant's listening. The Lord came, and he stood there. Stood there. Calling is at the other time. Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I'll carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him I'd judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by the sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning, opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, here I am. What? Uh, they say to you, Eli asked, don't hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. And then Eli said, he's the Lord. Let him do what's good in his eyes. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that from the north part to the southern part of the country recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And the next chapter starts like this, and Samuel's word came to all Israel. What God did in this desperate situation with horrible leadership, with a broken church, and a broken woman's heart, was introduced a desperation that kept building and building until people were so hungry they were willing to listen to the voice of their God until they were hungry enough. Right now, in the time that we're in, I can't stress this enough. I know this was a little wordy to get to where we need to get, but just listen. There are so many things that will make you feel like there's no hope. There are so many things that will make you feel like there's no future for us right now. There are so many things that will make you feel like, I don't think that God can move in the middle of this situation. This one's too hard for him. Well, congratulations, you just figured out the one he couldn't do. Desperation leads to conviction. Desperation leads to humility. Desperation leads to participation. You want to hear him. You're desperate for him. And you're willing to accept what he tells you. You're willing. You get, matter of fact, you're eager. If you don't change my situation, change my heart. That's what I'm asking God and then let him move. So, a finish line. 
Pray with me. Pray with me. But I am going to ask the worship team to come back up and play that last song again. If you're just, have I got everybody? Got them all? All right. P please play that last song again. Quick prayer. And let's just worship him with a little bit of desperation. Not because we don't feel like God's going to move, but because we need him to. Because we need him to. Guys, our country is in trouble. That's not a lie. Our, our government's in trouble. Our nation's in trouble. There's a lot of people in this room who I've spoken to in the last three, four weeks who are in trouble right now. They need a move from God. They need to sense his presence. They need to know that he cares for them. They need to know he's going to move. And he is. But there's people here. There's families attached to these families. I know some very desperate people right now. I know some people that are desperate for healing. And we're looking for it. And we're believing for it. But we are going to worship him together with the intent of a little bit of participation, a little bit of desperation, some conviction, some humility. God, your way is the right way. It's the right way. Whatever your word says is the right way. I, 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 don't, want, I don't want to pray about right now just what I feel like I need, what I want. I want to pray about your will. What do you want? Let's do that.